I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. first-of-its-kind study of venture investment in therapeutics by Disease Area and Innovation finds that venture investment following the Great Recession has not yet recovered to the level seen in the years leading up to the financial crisis. In addition, the study shows great disparities in the level of funding of disease categories and finds that chronic diseases with large patient populations have seen some of the biggest drops in investment. We spoke to Dave Thomas, one of the authors of the study from the Biotechnology Industry Organization, about its findings, where dollars are going and where they're not going, and what effect recent policies may have had in attracting investment to certain areas. Dave, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Your study of venture financing in the biotechnology industry is a a first-of-its-kind look at venture funding for therapeutic innovation. You examined the five-year period before and after the Great Recession, 2004 to 2008 versus 2009 to 2013. With all of the capital being raised, I, I think people think of the sector being awash in cash right now, but your report paints a different picture, at least for early-stage biotechs, what did you find? Well, we did find that since 2010, venture capital has actually been increasing. Uh, It is coming back. Um, But when you look at the overall levels, 2007 was definitely the the peak year in venture financing, and we haven't been back to that. The the study incorporates the 10 years, 2004 to 2013. And when we split up the the years before the financial crisis and five years after the financial crisis, we see a considerable drop in funding. But more specifically, we we see big drops in funding within therapeutic areas. So what we attempted to do here was to break down the data primarily in, in two ways. One is by therapeutic category, and we have 14 major disease areas that we looked at, and also look at the funding as to whether or not it went into novel drug development, so drugs, compounds that have never been approved by the FDA, and R&D that is primarily designed for delivery of an approved drug or reformulation. Uh, So those were labeled as drug improvement therapies, still beneficial to patients, but not completely novel in terms of molecular entity or uh, novel mechanism of action. One of the interesting findings is that investment in early stage companies have become more concentrated, that that fewer companies are raising money, but the money they're raising are in larger rounds. Any sense if that's informed by difficulties venture-backed companies had in raising money prior to the IPO market of recent years? And, and what are the implications of that? So the where we see that come up the most is in the Series A finance. So we see that 
even though money is coming back in, and, and in fact, when you look at that novel uh, dollar amount, the novel R&D funding dollar amount uh, for Series A financing, which is the first true bolus of money that comes into a company, you know, usually with a syndicate, um, enough money to, to run clinical trials, et cetera, we find that although there's an increase in money over the period, there's a decrease in the number of companies, which means that the, the venture firms are putting more eggs in, in uh, one basket, if you will. Um, the total number of companies formed in 2006 was 89, and in 2013 was 63. And the, the 2014 data preliminary analysis also shows that we had a lot of money coming into venture capital, but again, fewer companies being formed. Uh, so this is a combination of a, of a few things, but one is that since that period in 2009, where we had this big drop-off and even into 2010, we saw a lot of venture capitalists exit the life sciences. And we're, we're starting to see signs that they're coming back, but we have fewer investors out there. And then secondly, the life science investors that remained in biotech, uh, they became a little more conservative with their capital and wanted to make sure companies were well-financed from the very beginning. And so you'll see uh, Series A rounds now, you know, 20, 30, 40 million dollars um, to get the companies going so that the CEO doesn't have to spend as much time looking, you know, so soon for that uh, next round. In, in recent years, there's been a shift in investment away from small molecules to biologics. How big a shift has there been, and is there any sense of whether that's been driven by by science, the advent of new technologies, or or by policy that's just incentivized people to go after those targets? Yeah, I would say it's a combination of both. So in, in this study, starting in 2004, 27% of all of the investment in venture capital was in biologics. And by the end of the study, 2013, biologics made up 50% of all the financing. So that tells us there's been a big increase, and a lot of that did happen um, after uh, 2010, which was after the um, Affordable Care Act and the 12-year biologics exclusivity. Um, but there's also been quite a renaissance in the fields of RNAi, messenger RNA, and gene therapy, and not to mention all the um, antibody scaffold companies. So full-length antibodies and um, antibody conjugate technologies, but also these um, smaller antibody-like molecules that have come around. So there's been quite a bit of investment across all these new modalities out there. And a lot of them are showing promise in the clinic, which continues to support you know, further investment. Your study found there's great disparities in how much capital is supporting the development of drugs in, in various indications. Where is the money going and, and not going, and, and how big are the disparities? So the disparities can be quite large. So if, if you look at the, the novel investment, um, where we break out the, the companies where their lead program is a molecule that's never been approved. We see some areas down over 50% in, in, the, in the two periods, the five years before the financial crisis and the five years after. 
So, for example, endocrine, where you find the diabetes therapies, was down 60% in funding. Gastrointestinal, psychiatry, all these down over 50%. And these are areas where millions of patients are affected uh, in these areas and chronic diseases. And if you look at the areas where you'll find the rare diseases, which is in the metabolic category where you find rare genetic disorders, we actually find that novel investment has increased 37%. And there are a couple other areas that had an increase. But if you look at that area, it's it's quite different from um, the patient size perspective, where you have, uh, you know, sometimes... I mean, by definition, under 200,000 patients in the U.S., but, you know, in some cases, under 10,000 patients in the U.S., whereas some of these other areas where there's a big drop in funding, you know, you have millions of patients. Well, the other areas that, that shifted sorry, were um, ophthalmology, which was a bit unexpected, uh, actually, going into this. Uh, there was a big increase in ophthalmology and, and an increase in the platform companies, which, again, goes back to... The, uh, the biologic trend. Cardiovascular disease is a stunning example. You note in the report that 83.6 million Americans have a cardiovascular disease and that by 2030, 44% of the U.S. population is projected to have some form of cardiovascular disease, yet we've seen a 27% decline in venture investment during the periods you studied. Other areas of chronic diseases are that, that saw declines affect very large patient populations. Is, is it that that to develop a drug in these indications requires relatively large clinical trials and, and the cost of doing it is relatively greater to, to doing a rare disease trial, that it's become a disincentive for companies to pursue these indications? Uh, yes, I think that's, that is part of it. Of course, it's, it is complex. I think that a lot of the drop has to do with an overall, the overall drop in funding, you know, across the board. And those categories tend to be the larger categories uh, of funding. Um, but there's also the time period that was studied there. You know, when you talk to investors, there definitely was some ambiguity as to what was required on a regulatory front. And so that um, had pushed some investors out of the space. You know, the requirement of running cardiovascular outcome trials and, uh, you know, whether or not um, some of the requirements were clearly defined um, did scare a few investors out of out of that space. Certainly, your, your point about the, sorry, the, um, you know, running clinical trials for some of those therapeutic areas, you know, can require, you know, 10,000 patients, whereas some of the trials, you know, in rare disease are only requiring 100 patients. So a big difference when you have a you know per patient cost of running clinical trials. There have been some significant incentives to drive funding into specific areas of drug development. Does your study show any benefits from such things as the GAIN Act to incentivize the development of antibiotics or or new incentives to develop drugs for rare diseases? Well, you know, certainly the the Orphan Drug Act, which has been around since 1983, that that has been around for a long time and it's certainly being utilized now. Uh, I think that the GAIN Act, which was really only signed in 2012, has not had enough time 
from the perspective of, of the private companies for that to take an effect. We we've seen five drugs approved in the last year uh, utilizing the Gain Act, um, but again, this was signed in 2012. But we didn't have anything approved 2012 or 2013. So it's only now we're starting to see approvals, and those had been in the pipeline for many many years. So in the study, because we concluded 2013, we're not able to pick that up yet. And perhaps when we look at the 2014 data we'll see an increase in investment in, in the antimicrobial space. But as it stands now, for antimicrobials, uh, for the for the time period studied, uh, it's pretty flat, actually. Any sense what the impact the JOBS Act has had, the law that made it easier for emerging growth companies to go public? Has, has that helped restore venture investment in, in, in the sector at all? The, the JOBS Act was instrumental in taking care of this backlog of private companies that were really only able to exit through M&A. It opened up the doors for the, the venture investors to sell off companies to the public. Um, it, it was primarily successful because it allowed the CEOs to have the conversations uh, with investors ahead of an IPO, whereas in the past that was a very formal one-time setting, and now they're able to communicate their very complex stories over a period of months and, and multiple conversations and, and file confidentially for their IPOs. So this this opened up the the IPO window, and it's been open for a couple of years now, and that should imply that the investors that have exited can now put new funds back to work. Um, however, again, because we, our study ended in 2013, we haven't quite seen that effect. We're hoping when we look at the 2014 data, uh, that we're going to find a, a very large amount of venture capital coming back in to the sector. And, and we anticipate, um, some of that money will be reinvested into the private space. And that will tell us the Jobs Act has had a, a benefit back into the, the private space. What do you think people should take away from this report as, as they look ahead? And, and does it raise any any serious concerns about areas that are not getting the, the investment that, that they deserve? Well, I think it, it does highlight what a lot of people had already suspected, and that is that there has been somewhat of a shift from the chronic diseases into the rare diseases. And it's, it's great for, for you know, patients with rare diseases. Um, oncology shows that things have held steady over the time frame st- studied, even though there was a significant drop in you know, 2009 and 10. Um, the funding came back. Um, but it does suggest that more might need to be done to incentivize research and investment into the, the chronic diseases. Dave Thomas, one of the authors of the Bioindustry Analysis on Venture Funding of Therapeutic Innovation. Dave, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. A few housekeeping notes. Over on our sister podcast, Rarecast, tune in to hear Chris Gibson, CEO of Recursion Pharmaceuticals, discuss his company's audacious goal to develop 100 drugs to treat rare diseases in 10 years. Then, starting March 6, the Every Life Foundation's Julia Jenkins 
will discuss proposed legislation that could provide new incentives to drug makers to develop drugs for rare diseases. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.